pain has great potential, but I'm also faced with the clear reality that most of us avoid it at all costs. Welcome to The Shift, where we search for ways to do better by thinking better. Whether you're going through a major life change, looking to deepen your understanding of yourself, or hoping to improve your relationships with others, The Shift is here for you. We're your hosts, Isla and Yashar, an endlessly curious sister and brother team. As certified brain-based executive coaches with backgrounds in medicine and management, we combine the neurosciences, performance psychology, strategic planning methodology, and mindfulness techniques to empower your transformation from the inside out. Join us in conversation as we explore better ways to show up for ourselves and each other. Today on The Shift, we're going to begin with a quote. Pain places a spotlight on the parts of us we keep in the dark, reject, and avoid. Isla, what does that make you feel when you hear that quote? So when I hear that quote, I think what it shows me is that pain has great potential, but I'm also faced with the clear reality that most of us avoid it at all costs. Yeah, that is exactly the topic we are going to tackle today. And more importantly is what do we do with pain? Is there a function to this pain? Is there usefulness to the pain we experience? It's telling us that, hey, something's off. And what I always remind myself and remind others personally and professionally when I'm speaking about pain is that it's a universal truth, right? It's the universal truth that life contains pain and the association with pain, in my estimation, needs to be understood or relationship needs to be built with it because it's going to be present. No matter how we slice our lives, whether we want to be ultimately lazy and never get off the couch, or we are a go-getter and a hustler and a grinder, and we want to accomplish all the goals. Pain exists in both those scenarios and everything in between. And so personal examples of wanting to do something outside of your comfort zone will bring this pushback. The brain will say, hey, this is not like the other. Why are we doing this? And in that moment, we have to ask ourselves, what are we going to do with this feeling? And how are we going to process the parts of the story in ourselves so that we can rise and evolve uh, with the situation present and not, as you said, Isla, run away from it. So there is a dichotomy. You want to be safe, but you also want to evolve. And that's, I think, where the function of pain becomes very interesting. So when you say all that, I have questions. Can I ask my questions or is there something you want to present to us first? No, I want you to ask your questions first. Questions first, for sure. Okay, so my brain is firing on all levels, you know, trying to see how to approach pain. Because I know certain things, you know, scientifically, in the sense that when our brain is in a fear state, we can't think critically. So when we are in pain, when we are in that survival mode, we can't engage our PFC to the level to help us recover. So my question is, when we're looking at pain, how can we look at it, get comfortable with it, but also not get stuck there, knowing that if we stay in that space, we won't be able to heal and recover? Yeah. So first of all, for those who don't know, PFC, prefrontal cortex, that's your higher 
thinking, your executive function, decision-making, uh, front of the brain uh, area where once offline, it could be very difficult for impulse control. It could be very difficult to actually think through challenging situations and you're governed by the animal instincts of uh, fight, uh, flight, or freeze, uh, which most people are comfortable and know about. So I think to answer your question, you know, we talk about this actually a lot where it's, we need to stop, drop, and breathe, <laughs> you know? We, there needs to be a, a muscle you can pull on that can regulate the system because emotions, strong emotions at that, we think of it as being in the brain. And it's true. There are elements that obviously associate with the brain, but they're also stored in the body in, in muscle tension and breathing patterns and, and also just how your, your, your different um, body parts feel like your organ senses, in your throat, in your chest, in your stomach, you know, we all experience the fear of pain or the discomfort of pain, you know, a little bit uniquely, but the, the, the overlying uh, theme is simply that you're going to feel it in the body. And so the first step I would always say is we have to learn how to regulate and regulation is not a task for when you're in pain alone. Regulation is a task when you're outside of pain, where you develop a relationship with it. Because if you don't know how to swim and I throw you in the Atlantic Ocean, guess what? You're not coming back for your second lesson. That'll be your one and only lesson. And so when we're in the wave of discomfort, we're in the wave of anxiety, depression, fear, worry, disconnect, the heavy emotions, we can't say, okay, well, this is a good time for me to learn how to regulate my system. It's just too overwhelming. And as you said, Isla, you're, you're not able to process. So let alone learn a new a skill or a new task. So the first place I would say is we have to practice outside of those, even the pockets outside of those moments, because for some people, it could be more ongoing and chronic. Uh, but the pockets, the support with others to find a way to create moments where we can practice when we're not just completely overwhelmed by the emotion. So I want to start there because I think you make a really great point, which is the overwhelm. Um, so does that resonate as a starting point of, of how to, how to even begin processing? Yeah. Can we, can you also highlight, you know, cause I jumped into talking about the amygdala and the PFC and you broke it down, but can you break it down a little bit more about kind of the dimmer switch of it all and how, you know, they can't both function in parallel. So it kind of also puts this more into context why it's so necessary to do this work. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a finicky relationship, but they do work with each other. Like learning does involve the PFC as it does the amygdala, you know, and so but it's the it's the extent to which the amygdala is firing, which again is your fight or flight or freeze. It's your kind of like, oh my gosh, when poop hits the fan moments of what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? It's the moment where you're called upon in class and asked a question you haven't prepared for and you freeze, right? You're like, uh, 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 right? And so when you have a hyperactivated amygdala, it, it does, it dims the PFC, the higher thinking uh, parts of your brain. Um, and so we need to have a better control of, of, of what's happening within us, in our brain, in our body. And that's why I speak to the regulation side of things, because you want to have those dimmer switches actually working together a little better and not one, um, you know, overpowering the other in the sense that uh, you don't want your amygdala being overpowering your PFC. That's what I meant there. Which means you're ultimately running in survival mode. Yeah, what you would feel in your body is that a sense of overwhelm, doom, hopelessness, because it's running the show. Yeah, it's your it's your 
at best defensiveness to get out of a really tricky, scary situation. And at worst, it's a shutting down. Uh, but both are not the hyper um, creative and critical thinking that is necessary when we're working through complex and never seen tasks or, or familiar feelings, but we are trying to look for a new way out. Okay. So then the critical question, I guess, even before we start evaluating our pain is, because you've mentioned it so much, what is regulation? How do you do regulation? What does it even mean when you say it? Yeah. Regulation, simply put, is, is becoming more aware and in charge of very basic speak, the two processes or the two systems that are volleying back and forth with one another in your nervous system. And one is called the sympathetic nervous system. And that's kind of the, you can think of S as the stress uh, kind of nervous system. It doesn't have to be bad stress. It could just be when you're activated stress, uh, sorry, activated system. And then the, the other side of the nervous system is your parasympathetic. That's your rest, digest, recovery side of your nervous system. So regulation means, can I, when I want to move into my parasympathetic, where I can feel my muscle tensions relax. I can feel maybe my, the, my mouth becomes a little bit more moist and not as dry with, you know, anxiety or fear usually produces. I don't feel uh, a tension in my stomach or my throat or my chest. As I mentioned, people feel in different places and I have conscious control to get there. Now, how you get there, I think one of the most accessible tools is your breath. And not just, I think that like, you know, a lot of scientific research would, would say that as well. However, singing, dancing, you know, playing with different materials using, you know, your hands, uh, writing, these are all tools that can actually help people shift into a parasympathetic state, which again is allowing yourself to not be uh, let the gas pedal ease off. And so you're not, you're not in the space where you're just kind of revving the, your engine, so to speak. You know, you mentioned a lot of this, you know, is stored in our bodies. So, you know, even methods like shaking and tapping, which you might hear a lot of, you know, using some somatic therapies to move it out of our bodies, let it find different tools for it to metabolize instead of be stored and stagnant helps kind of release it and helps us also regulate in the sense of coming back to not letting these be the drivers of our decision-making and our feelings. Is there any other tools you would recommend when, let's say I didn't practice regulation ever, <laughs> and I am in a state of fear, overwhelm, panic, anxiety, depression, something that's overtaking my system and not allowing me to you know, as we said, you know, engage our executive function when pain is running the show, what do I do then? The, the, the one of the things that, that I, I like to reach to, again, it's how my brain works. And I do realize it's a little bit of a luxury is, is co-regulation. If you have someone that you trust, um, that you feel comfortable with to, you know, a friend to call up an intimate relationship where you feel safe in, even uh, even in situations where you may not know them very well, but the, the person you feel like is equipped and, and you, you, you ask for the permission to be in that space with them and they receive that. I think co-regulation is often only seen as like, go to see a therapist, which is obviously true. 
But co-regulation is one of the main ways that we regulate. And, and our brains are so very much wired to, to connect with other people. So if that is something that you have access to and something that it doesn't trigger whatever trauma that you may be experiencing in that moment, then I would, I would say, you know, reach out, speak to someone, connect with someone. Um, I think that's why communities, community groups, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, for all, all, all peoples or selective peoples work, uh, because you just are there with other individuals, maybe experiencing the same thing, or, or at least able to hold that space. So that's, that's one piece that I know is a luxury outside of that with yourself. I, you know, this is going to sound counterintuitive on some level though, there has to be a decision that you want it to be different. I think that is also a tool that is overlooked that, you know, if you don't actually want it to, to be different and, and by wanting it, I mean, not like, of course I want the pain gone, but not the pain gone but the pain understood and worked with and evolved with. If there's no true connection to that desire, that wanting and that attempt to move in that direction, then I don't know if any tool is actually going to be beneficial outside of, you know, I was actually going to say like some psychedelic medicines, but even that there's a, there's a set and setting, there's a mindset and a setting in which you take those a very powerful medicines to, to move through. So I would have to say those two are, are, are in conjunction with the, all the other tools that, that I, that I mentioned. And the last one would be removal. I think there, there's a removal from the setting that's causing it. There's a removal from, um, the person or the people that might be causing it. Uh, there's a removal uh, from, from the psychology by, by physically removing yourself. And, and I think those three things in conjunction with the practice and tested kind of um, regulation techniques would be the best. Uh, and like anything else, one by itself, I don't think will ever be enough when there's real challenge and pain, but definitely, you know, synergistically they can work together so my brain is bouncing all over the place um, when we are talking about this right now but i think it's being i'm coming down to two main questions when we're approaching our pain it's getting curious about what the pain is trying to tell us and then making an active choice on what we want to do about that information or what what we want to do with that information does that sound aligned Yes. And, and though, you know, in every conversation we have personally and professionally with our clients, there's so many details to work through uh, and to understand. However, I will say with my, you know, well over a decade of having these types of conversations where I know the common denominator falls is just one word and that's disconnect. And the question I always go to, is there a disconnect with me or with somebody else? And usually it's a mixture of the two. It could definitely be, you could be leaning towards one or the other more, but disconnect is the source of pain. And so when we say, can we make sense of pain? Most often we think, can I make sense of why that person did this? And therefore I feel this way. And why did my parents 25 years ago behave this way or make that decision? That's really overwhelming stuff. But if we say, 
those situations occurred and where do I feel disconnected now from myself and from other people or society at large? And how does that make me feel? And why is that important? Then we have a, a runway to work with. We have space to start exploring, again, willingfulness, right? Exploring what about this situation is, is, is hard for me. Because when you do that work, on the other side of it, you'll soon realize there's a parallel to what you actually want to evolve into, how you want to connect to yourself, how you want to connect with others, how you want to contribute to society, how you want to be respected and seen. And, and that's where the magic really occurs. That's when we say, okay, we can't change the past. We're kind of in this place in the present, but what can we do differently to shape the future? And, and that's where I think the power lies in these types of conversations. And I think, you know, again, our favorite word, nuance, comes in again with this conversation, because when we work with our clients on all of these, you know, this and many other, you know, concepts and approaches, we know it's not one size fits all. It's very clear to us there is all of these tools available and all of these perspectives to take, but it really is curated into that what that person, that person personal relationship with pain and then how to then take that to the mixing board and what to make more or less of as we say you know when we're on that when we're on that soundboard saying like what we need to increase and what we need to decrease because someone who is very pain avoidant has to get more comfortable with sitting in their pain and getting curious about it someone who is addicted to the pain you know, because it is an addiction to that rumination, to that stress and that worry um, is encasing themselves into a victim stance, needs to get more comfortable with finding ways to see things from a different perspective. So when we mind shift, it's not a one size fits all mind shift. It's just shifting whatever you're doing currently to a model that will then serve you better. And I'm so happy you brought that up because those extremes definitely do exist. And I think, again, anyone listening, if you just take a quick inventory of your own life, you'll probably see you gravitate towards one or the other, but probably have both within you. Yeah. And it's, it's the self-awareness to recognize where you lead into kind of overwhelm and this is my whole entire life. It'll never be different. And where you lead into like, what? Teflon, nothing, everything's fine, moving on. And, and so those two are, are, are accurate. And to round out the conversation in the way we do it, at least, is if you don't know the version of yourself that you are evolving, you're actively trying to evolve to become, if you don't know the version of yourself that really inspires you and, and you feel excited to be and be more like and to, and to engage in life with, then all of this is just a lot of words. All of this is just a lot of maybe information, and, and but there's no integration. The integration can only occur when you take the concepts we discussed and add it to the willingness that I've also discussed with a clear compass of who it is that you're trying to become. Not my definition, not Isla's definition, not your mother's or your father's or your sister's or your neighbor's or your teacher's or, 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 or your definition and a clear and understood definition. And in fact, this is a good time to say, like we have a free tool for this and we'll link it in the show notes. So you can start that process if you don't know what we're talking about, just to get very clear on who you're becoming and why you want to be that version of you. Because then when pain arises, you say, okay, I'm here. This is who I'm trying to become to go there. What is this awakening within me? Is this aligning with who I want to be? Or if it's not, why isn't it? 
And how can I then start to transform my thinking, my feeling, and my behavior around these situations so it becomes more like that version of me? And then when you do the work with, with the free tool, you're going to have a very solid understanding. You can even name this individual if it's not your own name. And therefore, you ask yourself, what would this version or how would this version of me respond to this and not just be stuck in a cycle of reaction? Yeah, I want to I want to kind of give an example before we end, because I was in a situation yesterday where I was just in a shitty mood all day and I could not shake it. You know, I am someone with a lot of tools. I've worked with you. I have the regulation, you know, toolbox ready to go. And yesterday, literally, I did all the things. I took walks. I worked out. I drank water. I ate. I talked. And I was just like, it's not lifting. It's not shaking it off. It's not working. And what I realized at the end of the day, my last and final thing, I called a friend. I went for my final walk of the day. And I said, you know what? It's okay. I'm just going to let it be. And I think part of all the things we do, you know, magic pill is grace as well. You know, offering yourself grace and space to say, hey, I'm also just allowed to be, you know, again, we don't get stuck in the mud, but I think we have to give ourselves opportunity to be where we are when we're there so that when we're ready to shift and make a change, we actually have the resources available to us. Because if yesterday I spent all the time fighting this feeling and fighting myself, I would have actually just ended up in a worse state. You know, I would have strained my nervous system. I offered it a lot of tools. They didn't do much. I'm sure they helped, you know, you're not going to, you know, hurt yourself by drinking water, but for that time being, it didn't lift and I didn't find an answer and I didn't find a way out. Today was a different day. I made different choices. I didn't feel the same, but I think sometimes it's that trust in ourselves that we're just going to keep showing up for us. We're going to keep showing up because we believe we're going to offer ourselves grace and love and self-compassion. And the shift will come also from that. I'm a deep believer that all things don't always have to feel so hard. And even when they feel hard, there's an offering to release that tension. You know, at that moment, what will give you comfort and safety and just stay there? And I think the, the, the points that I want to address, I love that you said trust, because as you started speaking, I, the word trust kept ringing in my, in my ears. And you have done the work, so you actually have more confidence, which is intense trust in yourself to do the work and to know when this is working, this is not working, do I push a little harder? Do I pull back a little bit more? None of those skills will ever be alive within anyone if you don't, as you said, trust yourself to continuously show up and not get it perfect, but put a foot forward towards the version of you that you're more proud of. Like we said, like you doing those things was going in alignment with the version of you that doesn't just sit back and get mad, mad at everyone all day. You're like, no, I want to show up differently for the day. And not but, and you recognize, hey, you know what? Something's still feeling off in me. So instead of just like beating myself up, I'm just going to allow this to be, not judge it or myself. And I think that flexibility is, is earned, like true flexibility of a muscle. 
You don't wake up doing the splits, that's for certain. You have to earn the flexibility within your muscles and you have to earn it within your mindset. And for anyone who's an athlete or anyone who works out or anyone that likes physical movement, you'll know every day you're not going to hit a PR. But you do show up and you still move your body because that's the version of you that you're most proud of. And you coach yourself through those days. So the next day you actually uh, are able to be stronger with whatever exercise you're trying to do. These things must be earned. You define PFC. So can you define PR? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a personal record. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hitting your best. In fact, this might not be relevant to anyone and forgive me, but my mind went here very quickly. It's like when you look at the world's strongest humans, they hit their record bests twice a year. Right. They're the world's strongest humans and they work sub optimally, not optimally, that's not true. Sub strength threshold, sub you know, their highest numbers on whatever exercise they're doing until they get to about two competitions a year. And that's when they attempt to go over what they think they can actually do. And that's when they hit their PR or their personal records or whatever. And so these are the world's strongest humans who are in the gym, lifting heavy things all the time. And they actually put the principle that Isla, you brought up to use, which is it's not always going to be perfect. And it's actually on purpose, not going to be the best it's actually going to be training smart at a certain percentage of that strength so that when you need those resources, they're right there and they're ready to fire off. So there's no one way to do this, but there is uh, an art and a science. But like anything else in life, you can learn from us, you can learn from books, you can learn from other podcasts, you can learn from your therapists, all of that. But if you don't learn from yourself in your own life, you're falling a little bit behind your potential of growth because you are, the, in fact, the one with all the answers. You are, in fact, the one with all the life experiences. And you are the one that will make sense of the pain and the beauty that your life will hold for you. Thank you for listening, friends. What shifted for you during this episode? We'd love to hear your insights. Write us with any questions, commentary, or episode ideas at the shift at mindshiftleadership.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would deeply appreciate a like and subscribe. The Shift is brought to you by MindShift Leadership, a heart-centered, evidence-based, mindset-powered leadership company, empowering you with the training to prioritize mental health, inclusion, and performance optimization.